0: All right, I wanna do a little bit of review that we didn't quite finish last week uh, because I think there's a couple important points to be made from the end of chapter four. So roughly page 77 for me might be top of 78 for you. Uh, Question five, is it sinful to bite your fingernails? It seems like an odd question, but it illustrates an important point. There's a difference between rules that we find in the Bible and rules that we might have as a family or think that are good as a matter of, you know, basic hygiene or those sorts of things. So it's important for us to remember there's a big difference between a family rule, don't bite your fingernails, take the trash out at set intervals, things like that, and a biblical command like speak truthfully. The Bible doesn't command you not to bite your fingernails the Bible says you must speak truthfully and not lie and so it's important especially for parents to help kids to understand rules as I must not do this certain thing because my parents are telling me to do it and I have to obey my parents but then there are other things that I should or shouldn't do because God is saying to do it or not do it we don't distinguish family rules from Bible commands it's easy for kids to group them all in the same category, partially because we have, we'll have a whole bunch of things that we feel like are r- right and wrong issues, which they are to the extent that it, we can't violate our conscience, but it also creates these questions of if this is a right and wrong issue and this family over here is doing something different, how do I understand that? one possible reaction not uh, guaranteed but something that happens unfortunately far too often is well you know the solution is I just I can't deal with all these rules so I'm just gonna not do any rules instead of saying let's distinguish between house rules and biblical commands and let's continue to train our consciences according to the Bible Um, and it, it we have to recognize, I think, that as parents, we can insist or make clear that a particular rule is this is what we do in our family versus this is what God commands everyone to do, and kids may still get confused about it, but we do need to uh, make an effort to uh, distinguish those things. So there's a long list at the end of the chapter, pages 80 and 81, about a number of different things that we might need to adjust our conscience about i'm not going to read through that um i'm sure we have as many uh different opinions as there are items on that list about certain of those issues and so rather than going through all those that's just a list to sort of spark the thinking but the the closing words why you should not be dogmatic about all your convictions d martin lloyd jones was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century we esteem him highly but in March of 1924, when he was 24 years old, he shared some convictions in a way we suspect he later regretted. His statement is instructive for the rest of us. I cannot possibly understand a man who wears silk stockings or even gaudily colored socks, rings, wish- wristwatches, spats, shoes instead of boots, or who carries a cane in his hand. The modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but it has been a real curse to humanity. If I had to spend a lifetime with a companion who had only one bath a day or with one who had only one bath a year, I should unhesitatingly choose the latter because a man's soul is more important than his skin. When I enter a house and find that they have a wireless apparatus or a radio, I know at once there is something wrong. Your five valve sets may do wonders. They may enable you to hear the voice of America, but believe me, they will never transmit the only voice that is worth listening to. There's a number of things about that statement that we might take exception to, probably the two things being taking a bath more often than once a year, I think we would all agree is probably preferable, and uh, that the radio has in fact been used to spread the gospel and the truth of God to a variety of places. Um, The simple point is, we may have firmly held beliefs on a particular point that we have to adjust over time for a variety of reasons. And so we should have the humility to do so and recognize that we can't be right on everything all the time. We have to do the process of adjusting our consciences in the context of the local church. So that sort of springboards us into the next chapter, which is it's one thing to say, I have to adjust my conscience to match what the Bible says. How does that work out when all of us are going through that process at once in any sizable group? The complexity of conscience-related problems rises exponentially when you move from an individual to a group of people, and so do the stakes. Now, I don't expect that we'll make it all the way through this chapter today, because when we get toward the end, there's 12 questions to ask, so uh, we'll see how far we can get, though. I think the concept of theological triage on page 84 is helpful. Um, someone wanna explain that? Th- what's the idea of medical triage, first of all, for the, uh, yes? If priority Okay, good. So, for example, use sure, yeah, right, yeah. And uh, this is something that when we were talking through the statement of faith, I think we had a lot of discussion along these lines. It's easy for us to lump certain truths of Scripture as all being of equal importance. Now, we should follow all of what the Bible says, but clearly there are some things that are a difference between eternal life and eternal death, and there are other things that are a difference between one church and another, and that there are other things that are differences even amongst ourselves that we should be able to uh, have conversations about, so as an example he is first corinthians fifteen three I deliver to you as of first importance what I have also received, as in the gospel is of first importance. so first level issues central and essential to Christianity. If you deny these, you cannot still be a Christian in any meaningful sense. He gives some examples there, but what, what are some things that come to mind when we think of like these things are essential beliefs for any Christian. Okay, okay, what else? Okay, yeah, because if we don't admit that we're sinners, how can we, okay, sure, good. Yeah, that's a very important one. And then there's second level issues as well and these sort of mark off boundaries between one church and another. So what would be some examples of this? I might even put that in the third category, but I would say maybe your view of of end times. So like the top level would be Jesus is coming back. Scripture clearly says that. If you deny that, I mean Thessalonians basically says that was a mark of true believers that they looked for Jesus' return. Um, I think whether the millennium is a literal versus a figurative sort of idea, I think that would mark off different churches. Um, What are some other ones? baptism, yeah. Is it for believers? Is it for people that we hope will someday become believers? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. Is it a okay, sure. Good. Um, and then, what are some third-level issues? Carpeting, yeah. get gonna dive way down in the weeds right off the bat, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe. So like Genesis Genesis six. Is it like these weird angel human hybrids or is it um is it just like sinful men who happen to be, you know, giants, that sort of idea? Um What's another one? The passage in Thessalonians where it says the one who restrains or the one who lets. Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it human government? Is it something else? It's interpretations of specific passages. And um, and this is something where there's some tension, but I think that on a number of these issues, it's possible for us to all be in the same church and be in agreement on the core beliefs and Be working to understand Scripture and potentially have disagreements about some of these, some of these issues, and still have fellowship with each other. Uh, For that matter, um, I think it's also possible to have fellowship with people who have different views on the second level issues, although it's not always as practical to do ministry partnerships. You know, there are several Presbyterians I know that I think are good Christians that I've learned from in various ways. Would it be profitable for us to say we're gonna have a cooperative church planning effort? There'd be enough differences about baptism and church leadership and all that that I think it would be challenging for sure. Uh, and so probably not the, the wisest move. And so um, that's really the third level is really what we're looking at with regards to this particular chapter. Uh, w- it's very easy for those third level sort of issues to in our minds become very important And sometimes, because we have firmly held beliefs on them, to make them like the most important thing that we're going to, um, you know, the the hill to die on, so to speak. Um, Page 86, we should, we don't always need to eliminate differences, but we should glorify God by loving each other in our differences in connection with the conscience. So, turn over to Romans 14, because this is where a lot of this is going to be tied to. We live in a very different context, so we're not going to have these exact same issues, but I think the principles certainly apply. Um, the issues of of meat, of holy days, of some other related issues. Uh, connected passages we see in 1 Corinthians 8-10, through Galatians 2, and Colossians 2. So just to refresh our memory on the context, you would have had churches that had different proportions of gentile and jewish believers You would have some gentiles who are god fearers they're more acquainted with the law of moses and all those sorts of things even though they couldn't fully follow it being gentiles you would have had some gentiles from a completely pagan background and depending on the city and where that was located you would have had different proportions of all of those different groups in the church and so you could see that that would that would create conflicts and so um we have these, uh, jumped on them here. There we go. See if I can turn it. There we go. So, we have this, um, table here in the book. So, we have strong, we have weak. The strong, um, felt that they could eat meat, the weak said, don't. The strong said all is God's the weak said keep previous restrictions and then the strong were more or less Gentiles and the weak were more or less uh, Jewish Christians so Those are kind of the breakdown of the groups that we had here. Now, I think it's important for us to realize that the strong and the weak uh, categories don't always line up exactly um, uh, this way. But for many of them, it did. One of these issues was eating meat. They also disagreed about uh, holy days and a few other issues. the weak were probably well the strong the main issue for the strong was they're being proud the main issue for the weak is that they were potentially headed toward a sort of asceticism or self-denial that in galatian ends up falling uh, crossing over the line into a kind of heresy so um, when you have uh, this uh, conflict between them Uh, Paul recognized this as an issue that had to be dealt with fairly promptly because if not, then this was going to be a wedge that Satan was going to use to divide the two parts of the church. And so what ends up happening is that we end up going from strong and weak to we end up going to proud and yeah yeah, we could say judgmental yep when they became proud they end up living in a lawless way and when they ended up being judgmental they ended up li- living in a legalistic way now to be careful clarify what I mean by that lawless meant that they were actually sinning and we'll uh, we'll get into that they're these people were participating essentially in pagan worship events by going to the temple and eating meat it wasn't just I'm buying it at the marketplace it's been sacrificed in the context of a pagan worship ceremony and then the leftovers were sold at the market and I'm not like there in the temple participating they come here and they're actually saying you know what we can go to the temple it's an empty ceremony so what does it matter if we're at the temple participating in it And Paul is essentially going to draw this line and say, just like we have the Lord's table, they have the table of demons, you can't go participate in their worship ceremony for a variety of reasons. The people over here start saying, these restrictions are the marker of a genuine believer. This is the problem that we see in the book of Galatians, right? They said, unless you keep the law, you are not a Christian. And then Paul basically makes this extended argument in Galatians and says the law couldn't save you the Jews couldn't keep it Jesus fulfilled the law so if you want to go back to the sort of slavery you experienced when you were enslaved to sin go back under the law because it can't help you you can't keep it and God will require all of the all of the the judgment that comes out of the law is going to is going to come to you as well and so we end up having these sort of directions, and the net result is we end up having this split between these two groups. And Paul is trying to correct that. Then you have to say, so what's the solution? Well, Paul's an apostle, so he could have simply said, here's what you guys need to do. But he was also trying to teach them, I think in terms of principle, what it was they were supposed to do. Um, If he said to these people, just start eating meat, then he runs the risk of them violating their conscience. If he says to these people, stop eating meat, this is true. So he starts to suppress the truth for the sake of unity. So Paul appeals to love and his goal was to try to uh, correct these things. And so what he's going to do instead is If you look on page 94, I'm not going to try to draw the table because it's pretty involved. But if you look on page 94, you basically have three groups in between right here. So you starting from the left, you have the strong conscience, fully persuaded, welcoming, rather than looking down on those with a weak conscience what's the action eats meat what's the description or the understanding of it i have freedom to eat meat but for the glory of god but i still welcome christians who disagree what's the descriptive word for that it would be love and how so it reveals the gospel then you have in between strong and weak strong conscience again free to be flexible in disputable matters for two reasons to edify fellow believers and to advance the gospel what is the activity it's flexible sometimes it means eating meat sometimes it means not eating meat why or what's the motivation i've become all things to all men that i might by all means save some 1 corinthians 9.22 again the the motive or the descriptive word is love why this magnifies the gospel And you come to the person who has a weak conscience. Fully persuaded, but welcoming rather than judging those with a strong conscience. They have a different activity. They don't eat meat. Why? I abstain from eating meat for the glory of God, but I still welcome Christians who disagree. The descriptive word again is love, and this also reveals the gospel. Which then I think leads us to the question of um, why is... uh, uh, essentially, Paul is doing this to correct the tendency to pride and also to correct the tendency to being judgmental, both of which were leading people on either side of the issue into sin. Um, why is the center column the goal? Because it reflects Christ's example and Paul's example. It summarizes the message of the first half of Romans 15. Our ultimate goal is not to be content with, I've stopped judging other." christians on matters of conscience but to be willing to give up our rights for other people and it's interesting that paul would have if he had to pick which group he was closely connected with he would have been connected with the group that had the strong conscience because he was uh he recognized that he was not bound by the all the jewish uh, requirements And yet we see a number of instances, in fact, in the passage we're going to look at in church this morning, where he's willing to do things like follow a vow or participate in a particular ceremony at the temple. But what he did not do was say that Gentiles who had never done those things had to start doing them. And that's where they started crossing the line over here. So, two questions that are important for us to think about. How does this action affect other believers? secondly how does this action further the gospel of christ because again it would be possible for someone here to say i'm right so i don't care about these people and that's not love that's not focused on what the gospel can (coughs) come excuse me all right so our 12 principles what's our first of the 12 principles on page Ninety-six. All right. Someone want to read the two verses? Okay. So, what are the two groups that we see from this, these verses? How are they described? Yeah, but more broadly, the strong and the weak, right? Um, faith. What is fa- how's faith used here? Because I think this is an important point too. One person has faith that he can do this. One person has faith that he can't. What sort of faith is in view? So be confident with regard to your conscience on a specific issue. Which is not disconnected from saving faith, but that's not the main thing I think he's he's focused on in this instance. Okay? Um, So think about Peter, for example. We talked about him last week, I think. Was Peter weak in saving faith when God said, Arise, kill, and eat from all the unclean animals that came down from the sky? No, but he was weak in confidence regarding his conscience on the matter. So, I think this is another important point. In most issues, you are probably both weak and strong at the same time in comparison to other people. Because it's easy for us to look at this and say, I'm just in this category about everything. Or maybe I'm in this category about everything, but the reality is it's going to depend on what it is that we're talking about. And so that goes back to the last chapter. There always has to be this constant adjustment, calibration coming into line with what Scripture says. Because if we consider ourselves strong, our temptation is going to be proud to consider ourselves weak, or maybe if we don't consider ourselves weak, but if we see someone doing something we think they ought not to do, that is one of these conscience issues, we're going to be tempted to to judge them. So weak conscience and strong conscience apply not only to groups of people, but also how each individual approaches specific issues. So in all these cases, we have to obey both of Paul's exhortations. Why? There's usually people on either side of you, and you probably have a weaker conscience on something and a stronger conscience on others. What's the second principle, I think, on page 99? Okay. You want to read the verses for that? So if we see someone who is not willing to do a particular thing, it would be easy for us to automatically say, well, the reason they don't do that thing is because they have a weak conscience. What's another possibility? Okay. Right. But okay, good. Uh, Let's say that you're a new believer and you say, I can't believe these Christians don't do whatever it might be. They don't, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Not even something like that. I am trying to think of something. something that's a sin issue, and you don't recognize that it's a sin issue because where you are in your Christian growth. The reason, you might at first glance look at this and say, well, they have a weak conscience, but it might be the fact that that you're just wrong, you don't recognize that it's sin. We have to, we have to recognize that possibility. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's one of those things where we have to say, is, we have to say, always be willing to, to stop and say, is this a sin issue? Because I may not be convinced that it's a sin issue, but scripture might teach that. And if we see a lot of Christians hesitant to do a particular thing, we should at least pause and say, is there a good reason that they're not willing to do this? And sometimes it's because it's a right and wrong issue, and sometimes it's because there's been a lot of experience of why that's problematic, even if it's not particularly a sin issue. Um, number three, someone want to read the, the principle and the, uh, I guess the principle is based on the same verses, but someone want to read number three? Okay, so it's kind of the opposite of number two, if you have freedom, don't look down on those who don't, number three, if your conscience restricts you, don't judge those who have freedom. You look at someone doing something. You say, "How can any good Christian do whatever it might be?" Again, there's several possibilities. They're not behaving as a good Christian because it is in fact sinful, or it's this uh, this this strong weak sort of divide. Why is it a serious problem to break these two principles for the? Strong to look down on those with weaker conscience, for the weak to judge those with a stronger conscience. The answer is in verse three, and then in verse four, on page uh, one hundred. Okay, so that's the second one. Who are you to judge? Pass judgment on the servant of another. So you're basically saying I have the right to evaluate this person as though I'm the master instead of God. What's the first one? God has welcomed them, God, is, God has accepted them, and, and this is a difficult tension for us to accept, because we think that in order for God to accept people, they should be exactly like us, right? And that, that takes a variety of different turns, but if God can welcome both Jews and Gentiles into the early church, then God can welcome people from a variety of backgrounds, because God's goal bringing us into the church is not all, that we're exactly alike at the beginning, nor necessarily exactly alike at the end, other than that we're all conformed to Jesus, but rather that we are all rightly related to Him and part of the process of growing in faith and in uh likeness. So a tendency or attention we need to keep in mind at this point is third level issues are not unimportant. So if someone is convinced that the Nephilim were the offspring of angels and demons, the fact that other people disagree doesn't mean that you should never ever say anything about it. But what are the two caveats he gives on page 101? Okay? And this is where we often go wrong. I am right, and you are wrong, and you're dumb, and no one should listen to you, And all of those sorts of things. Now, sometimes it seems like people are are blind or oblivious to a particular issue, but I think looking at how God has worked in our lives should compel us to have more patience with people, right? And not only should we have the right spirit, but we should have the right what? Right proportion, okay? If you have a new Christian, what's the is it more important for that new Christian to budget their money well or to be joined to the church and and participating in worship regularly? And it's not an either or, but because you can't tackle everything at once, you gotta say, what is the most important thing right now and 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 we we see someone get saved we see someone join the church and we're like we got to fix all these things at once but we've got to say what's the most important thing we got to realize the holy spirit is working in them we got to realize sometimes it took us a really long time or we're still working on a specific issue and uh and all of these things so Third level issues should be considered, but with the right spirit and with the right proportion. Um, it, is, it is popular in, ide- in our day to have strongly held beliefs about a variety of issues. Sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's what's the path to living in a healthy way. Sometimes it's any number of different things. Look at your Facebook page, look at the context of your text messages and your emails, and ask yourself this, when I communicate with the people that I know, what's the perspective of Christ, Christianity, etc., that I'm giving to these people? Is it, as my neighbor said, Baptists don't drink and dance and do these other things, or is it, Jesus is the only way, believe in Him, and Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. Now, those things that we do or don't do may naturally flow out of what's most important. But we have to emphasize what's most important, especially to lost people, because they can't get saved simply because they start doing Christian activities. They only get saved if they hear the gospel message. We also have to recognize that a subculture can develop in a church. And then when someone joins, then being a good Christian is is conforming to that specific subculture. And this can, again, become more complicated if leaders start to have prohibitions that Scripture clearly allows. That's going back to the issue over on this side, which was if somebody says not just, I think it's a good idea for you to, but God wants you to, whatever it is, God wants you to have no debt. God wants you to, um, let's say it's something like God only wants you to wear a, a black suit and a white tie, and ladies should wear a black skirt and a white blouse, and that's the only thing that's appropriate to wear to church you say that's ridiculous no one would say that there are churches in which subcultures have pushed that sort of thing maybe not those specific examples but that sort of thinking and what tends to be the reaction for people coming out of those churches is it find a good church no it's i'm done with church so again not that we shouldn't care about some of these issues but we have to say what's most important we have to say How can we make sure that people are seeing what the the most important emphasis are? We need God's wisdom to discern the difference between weak and wavering, wavering believers for whom we ought to flex and controlling Christians who want to force their scruples on everyone else. We'll get into this, I think, in one of the later questions. But again, there's a difference between something bothers me and something leads me to sin by violating my conscience. It might bother me that um, there was a guy I knew and I ran into him at the hardware store and he was wearing this really ratty shirt. Maybe I would think, I can't believe he would wear that in public. Is that going to cause me to sin because I think that it's somehow wrong to do that, and then now I'm going to start doing it. No. It just bothers me. It just irritates me. That's one of these things where there's a difference between being offended in the modern sense of the word and being led to sin in the biblical sense of this passage. So, uh, number four. What's number four? Page 102. 103. Mine says one oh two, so you all are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Can you read the verse too? Oh, someone okay. Okay, so what's the example here? Jewish holy days, should they be celebrated? Paul's point is you should obey your conscience. Now, does it mean your conscience is always right? No, but until your conscience is adjusted to line up with scripture, you can't just start ignoring it because then you get in the dangerous habit of violating your conscience and ignoring the warnings that it gives you and that will lead you into sin. So, um, you probably remember this from previous chapters of the, the, the different triangles. Here's this person. Here's this person. Here's what God says. The goal is to be aligned with this, not for this person to match this person or this person to match this person. But the net result is the more that we're aligned with what God wants, the more closely we're theoretically aligned with each other, Right? because we should have the same standard of scripture that we're going off of. Um, So we've got to add rules to our conscience. We've got to weed out rules that are not biblical, and this is a lifelong process. All right, number five. Someone want to read that? Okay. Paul, you want to read the verse? Oh, sorry. (laughs) So Paul's giving the benefit of the doubt and saying what? What are both groups hopefully trying to do? Please God. God. And that would be good if we approach these sorts of situations with the assumption not that the other person hates God or hates me, but that we're all together trying to strive to do what glorifies God. What are some wrong motivations for why we do what we do? page 106 or, or thereabouts, there's four of them that are listed there. Okay, what do other people think? Okay. What else? Okay. Good. Or number three is sort of the flip side of that, fit in by exercising freedoms. Or what's number four? Right. You see this a lot when kids leave the house, live on their own. My parents wouldn't let me do blank, so now I'm going to do it. And sometimes we find out there's a reason they said don't eat pizza every day for a week. It just doesn't work, you know, something like that. But um, my friend said it was. I don't know. (laughs) Those are all wrong motivations. We shouldn't be driven by the fear of man or the opinions of others. We shouldn't be trying to fit in, either by being more strict or less strict, and we shouldn't have a desire to throw off all restraints simply because we didn't have opportunity to do certain things previously. The, uh, I thought these eight questions that we should think about with regard to specific actions are uh, helpful. So The first one, am I fully persuaded that it's right? Why is that one important? Okay, good. Not just can I get away with it, but should I do it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Can I do it as unto the Lord? This is another good one, too, because there's a lot of things that we could do, but, I mean, uh, let's say... It's Thanksgiving and there's a whole pumpkin pie sitting on the counter. Could I eat the whole thing in one sitting? Yeah. Can I do it as under the Lord? Maybe. But there's a lot of things we might want to think about with that. Right, 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 right. Half of it yes, but not the whole thing. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. It's one of those many ones. Yeah. Can I do it without being a stumbling block to my brother or sister in Christ? I mean, taking the pumpkin pie example, if there's someone who's struggled with with gluttony and they see me eating the whole pie or the whole pizza in front of them, maybe they're tempted to sin in that way. Again, it's not automatically sinful to do something like that and, uh, as a one-time thing, but I ought to be aware of how that affects the people around me. Does it bring peace? If I eat the whole pie, how's my family going to react? <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, does it edify my brother? Uh, Romans fourteen nineteen. We pursue the things that build up other people. Is it profitable? Is it profitable? Does it enslave me? And this is this is a tricky one because it really has to do with us as individuals. There are things that will enslave one of us that another of us is like, I could do this a hundred times and I could stop whenever. You know, the 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 joke is you can't just eat one Pringle, right? So then there's stubborn people they are like, Yes you can just eat one Pringle <laughs> Uh Right. Right. But if it enslaves you, don't do it. No matter if there's if everyone else around you can do it with freedom, if it enslaves you, don't do it. And does it bring glory to God, which is the, the controlling principle in all of these and sort of sums them all up. Does it bring glory to God? Because that's our goal in everything that we're doing. All right, number six, and then I think we'll, we'll pause there. I want to read that in the verse. A couple of verses. Okay, good. So remember back in some of the earlier chapters, why does conscience feel so important? Like, why does it matter? Why does conscience matter? Okay, it was given to us by God, and what's coming someday? Mm -hmm. Judgment by God, of which our conscience is a daily, small, like, precursor of that judgment. And so, we need to uh, recognize that when we stand before god we will have to answer for how we've used our consciences and followed god and so we should focus more on that instead of evaluating everyone else around us uh, as our first and primary goal so let's close with a word of prayer lord we thank you for the opportunity to study these truths together we pray that you would bless the service to follow and we pray that you would help us to live with one another in a way that gives the benefit of the doubt, seeks to bring you glory, and adjust our consciences closer and closer to what Scripture says, so that we would be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.